0: Hopefully the voices are okay. I feel like they're okay. Her dad sounds a lot like Vicus, but symbolically I'm actually okay with that. Welcome to episode twenty-five, where we get to hear Calliope's dad for the first time say things like, Jesus Jim, I don't think she likes that idea. Oh, this this whole this whole scene is a mess, isn't it? There's a whole lot of stuff coming to coming to bear here. Um, I don't know what to say about this exactly. There's a lot of, I guess, personal family drama here that's getting worked out. Um, I think it's an important scene. I think it's interesting that this wasn't the scene that I wrote um, in the first draft of the story. It was a scene that came later when uh, my editor and my agent went back to me and said, we really just want more stuff with the family. We want to see you have obviously got it in your head where Calliope has got this stuff worked out with her family because of that one scene with the kitchen table, it's not enough for everybody else. They need more. And this is most of it. There's one more big scene. Calliope has sort of figured out what happened when she left. She's been able to reconstruct that, but she hasn't been able to actually voice it because the person that caused it isn't here. And she's not, she's not airing dirty laundry. That's coming later when she um, talks to her sister. But there is definitely a bunch of stuff here. There's some echoes of earlier scenes. The stuff that Phyllis says when she first kicks Calliope out of the house when she's 16, if you're keeping track, is exactly the same words that Calliope says to Tom when she kicks him out of the house. The beginning of the story, we always become our parents. I went out to a baseball game. This was about, I don't know, about 10 years ago. So I wasn't that old or young or anything. I was just kind of in the middle or whatever. And um, I was out there with my nephew. And he had never been to a professional ball game. and Really, I hadn't been to too many. One of the only ones I went to as a kid was uh, my dad took me to a Twins game. And we were up in, I don't know, second deck or something, but the view was pretty good. And I was explaining the game to my nephew and we were having a good time. And there was a guy right in front of us. And keep in mind, we're we're at Coors Field, which is not a small venue by any stretch of the imagination. We're on the second deck. We are nowhere near anything, really. And this guy had brought a sign. He'd brought some kind of Uber sign. I don't know what it was. And, you know, I have nothing against fans, but he had brought a sign. The sign was about the size of a uh, 11 by 17 sheet of paper, cardboard. It wasn't that big. Uh, maybe, maybe two sheets of paper, but it was cardboard. He would just basically written on this cardboard, this, you know, old wrinkled piece of cardboard with the black marker. And every stinking time there was anything going on, like any break at all, he would hold this bloody sign up. That was fine except he didn't put it down when the next play began. He, he he it would go down after like the first or second pitch. That happened about 5 times and we were getting down to the bottom of like a pretty significant inning. It was like the last couple of pitches to like put the other team out and roll to the next inning. And this was going to be a pretty important pitch. And apparently the JumboTron camera was playing around and this guy decides to put a sign up on the off chance that the camera starts to notice him. And my dad shouted put the goddamn sign down and that sign went down and stayed down for the rest of the game and i was up there with a couple of my friends and they and my nephew both looked at me and i was looking around for my dad because i didn't know who the hell had just said that it turned out it was me because after a while you 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 become your parents at least at appropriate times. I like to think that you become your parents at the best possible moments. And that doesn't necessarily mean during your best possible behavior. It does mean that, that when you need that moment of spinal reinforcement that is necessary when you dress down a complete stranger in an incredibly public area, that your dad will be there to back you up. And he was. So yeah, they don't always do the best thing at the best time, but they do always help when things are rough. So Calliope had a rough time with her boyfriend and unfortunately she went back to a pretty rough time with her mom and and used that to get through what was probably a pretty hard thing at the time. We're peeling back all these onion layers with Callie and her family here to try to sort this stuff out. There's so much stuff going on here with her dad and how her dad would be sort of the referee in this whole thing and Jim Fletcher's history with the family. Um, It doesn't come up in the story at all, but there's a lot of history there between those three that Calliope knows nothing about and probably never will. And if she did, she'd be horrified by it. So we don't get into it, but it colors everything that they say to each other in this whole section. So it's an interesting scene. It's a scene that I really enjoyed writing. I loved the bit where she really dresses down the sheriff, and at the same time, I also loved when all of her great, grandiose posturing and a few good men speechifying ends up with just two older men who should probably act their age snickering at her from behind their hands, because sometimes that's just what happens when when that's the kind of family that you come from. So I talked about the police station and the tension that you feel, contrary to some rumors you might have heard. I'm not in police departments offices very often, but if you're suddenly in the back for some reason, there's just a tension around you. And it doesn't matter if you're an interviewee, it doesn't matter if you're a victim, it doesn't matter whatever, you're somebody who's not supposed to be there. And you're in this space and that is a point of difficulty for them. I don't know why it is. It could be I'm imagining it. I've been told I have a fairly active imagination, but I do read people and that is just something I've noticed. And I get to hand those kinds of observations back over to to other people i don't i've never had anybody tell me that, that that's bullshit um after having read that scene i i think it's the kind of thing that we notice and just don't pay attention to writers aren't special in that way everybody notices this kind of stuff everybody realizes that it's there the only difference between everybody else and writers is that we pay attention when we notice this stuff because we might be able to use it later for word count some people will call these little tiny lies, like what the mom said or didn't say, and what the Calliope did or didn't say, and what her sister did or didn't say, and all these sorts of things. Yeah, and you can call them these tiny, tiny little lies. That's not what they are. That's not, I mean, I. <laughs> it's written right on the tin. These are the hidden things. It's not about the hidden, oh yeah, so fine. The hidden things are dragons and goblins and boogeymen and all that kind of stuff. And that's all true. It is. And I do that and it all comes into the story because otherwise I would get bored writing a story that was just about the people stuff. That's fine, but it's got to mean something in both of the worlds that Calliope is living in. And so the hidden things are all these strange little creatures and strange little secrets that we don't know. But it's also all the stuff that we don't know or that we don't think about or that we try not to think about that make up the... Poor, barely functional relationships between each of us. Those are the hidden things. When Josh says, "Watch out for the hidden things," yeah, he's talking about he's talking about Mike and he's talking about the monsters and everything like that. But he's not just talking about that. Maybe not consciously, but he's not just talking about that. He's talking about watch out for for all those little things. So this story, in a lot of ways, going from the beginning to the very end, is Calliope looking at for the first time in probably ten years all of those things and putting them in the light and acknowledging them for what they are or what they aren't and taking away what power they don't deserve and giving them the respect that they are due that they maybe haven't been getting so yeah that's what it is it's these are the hidden things this is just as much a arc and a scene and a i guess b plot or whatever about hidden things as anything about the dragon Is anything about the goblins or Vicus or anything else. Or this is the A-plot and all the stuff with the pointy ears and the things with hair growing in the wrong place. That's the B-plot. Maybe. Maybe the B-plot is my friend died and after my friend died, I got a message from him, a scribbled note that said, you should go talk to your parents. And as a final, some sort of dealing with his last request, she goes and does that thing. Somebody could write that story. No doubt that somebody did write that story and there isn't a goblin in it. And I'm sure it is a very good story. It's not a story I'm ever going to write because when I write stuff, it's got to be something that's going to have some weird stuff in it. So yeah, that's kind of the story. And if you're somebody who's never read this story before, I've had lots of people say, I don't read this kind of stuff normally, but I read this one and I liked it because it seemed like there was a lot of stuff in there that wasn't just the weird stuff. And that's true. As much as I say, I need to have the weird stuff into these kinds of stories to keep my interest up, I've got to have the other stuff in amongst the weird stuff otherwise it's all just sword and sorcery fluff masturbation that anybody can write about whatever their last dnd campaign was and i'm not going to write that either i like peanut butter and i like honey but i like them better when they're together and so you can have give me a honey sandwich i'll be perfectly happy with it you can give me a peanut butter sandwich i'll be well a little bit less happy with it but i'll 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 eat it if it's good And that's all fine. But if you put them together, ah, now you have my interest. Part of that is not just the one story or the other story. It's how they work together. And the fun things that you can say about one side by talking about the other side. I like what I get to say about people by actually talking about goblins. I like what I get to say about dragons by what I say about people. Anything that's like all satire, it's not just for the sake of it. It's to really shine a light on something. It's brilliant. Terry Pratchett makes me cry. He's so good at this. And his stuff isn't subtle by any stretch of the imagination. Anybody who's done a lot of uh, literary critique or analysis or anything like that would read a book like mine and look at it and go, well, it's all just very obvious. Rather, it, you know, wears it on its sleeve. I'm not trying to trick anybody. If you don't see it and you're just interested in the story about the dragon, that's fine. And if you're just interested in the story about the people, although I haven't talked to anybody about that, you know, who's been like that yet, um, that's, that's fine too. I, I, that's not true. There's a couple people who are more interested in, in Calliope's healing process. Fine. Um, and some, you know, oh, it's just, it's rather obvious. Well, yeah, if you're the sort of person who notices that sort of thing, then yeah, it's right out there. We're saying a thing, but we're thinking about something else. The inciting event that made us feel the way we feel that makes us say the thing that we say, it's always connected. So why not have it connected to goblins and dragons? I mean, if you're going to have somebody die on you, wouldn't it be nice to to find out that you could undo it to fix it? I hesitate to call it wish fulfillment because I'm really, I'm one of the least- Believy persons that you're likely to find when it comes to supernatural stuff like i write about ghosts because i write about stuff that's not real i don't personally think i'm going to ever run into a ghost because i don't think that's a thing that's ever going to happen because i don't think it's a thing that can happen i hope don't make everybody hate me it's like i'm never going to read another book by him because he doesn't really believe it it's called fiction people if I, if I believed it happened, then something would be wrong with me. Even if it were non-science fiction or fantasy fiction, if it were fiction that I believed it actually happened, that's called a psychotic break. Part of what I'm doing is playing, and part of what I'm doing is playing make-believe, and it isn't really make-believe if I don't think I'm making it up. You know, I've spent the last couple of years analyzing with fantasy and magical realism, and it's this or it's that. I used to think that this story had a More than a little magical realism. And certainly, there's some rules in this story that follow what I perceived at the time to be sort of the guidelines of magical realism. It's not. I have not realized what it actually is. I have realized that I do not care. It is what it is. It is a story that does the thing that I want it to do and talks about the people I want to talk about in the way that I want to talk about them. And that is just going to have to be enough. Next one's going to be a little bit short. It's going to be Calliope and her sister, a little bit of a goodbye with mom. We're going to be back to Vikes and the Dragon. Two sessions from now, the dragon's going to fly. Really fly. It's one of my favorite scenes in the whole story, and I cannot wait to read it to you. Until then, watch out for the hidden things.